theyeshiva.net. Today's class is dedicated in the loving memory of the unforgettable Oyev Yisrael, the unforgettable lover of the Jewish people and friend of the Jewish people, Rabbi Rani Greenwald, who I had the privilege of knowing, Rabbi Rafal, Rabbi Yeshua Falik. At the end of the class, I want to share a special story about Rabbi Greenwald, but today's class before Yom Kippur is dedicated by his family and friends in his honor, La'elu Nishmasi HaTahira. His yard said is actually on Yutzvat, the 10th of Shvat. He passed away 5776, Tavshnai involved, 2016. Rabbi Greenwald, Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald, Rabbi Rafal, was an international negotiator who met with presidents and terrorists, prime ministers and KGB agents on behalf of the Jewish people. He was also the confidant of many G'dayli Yisrael, many of our great luminaries, and he was also the confidant and friend of countless individual Jews struggling with one thing or another, bringing hope and healing through his incredible love, dedication, loyalty, and unwavering belief in every single neshama and every soul that he encountered. Together with his wife, may she be well, Larichis Yavam Vashanam Tevis, Rebetz and Miriam, their home has become a safe haven for many, many broken hearts, lost souls. Rabbi Rani could speak to people from all languages and all backgrounds because he knew how to speak the universal language of the heart. And may his life continue to serve as an eternal source of inspiration and love and light and blessing, of course, for his beloved family. <coughs> but also for all of us who had the privilege of seeing him, knowing him, meeting him, being inspired by him, and all of the Jewish people. <coughs> and thank you to his family for this partnership. May you have only brachem, v'atzlacha, riches yamim v'shanim taifas. So, we're going to be studying a sicha presentation on the theme of Yom Kippur. It comes from Lakutei Sichais, volume 4, page 1140. 1149, I'm sorry, and it's a talk, a sicha that was presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe many years ago in connection to Yom Kippur. This was presented on, uh, in the month of Tishrei, Tavshin Chav Gimel, 1962, and it explores the essence, what is Yom Kippur? What's its meaning? What does it represent? What's its function? What's its purpose? How does it achieve what it achieves? It's an incredible resource to be able to know how to enter into Yom Kippur, understand, appreciate, be sensitive to the energy of Yom Kippur. Now, actually two years ago, before Corona, we were having our morning classes live. I began this sicha. I gave one class in it, and it's posted on the yeshiva.net. <coughs> Some people I saw were watching it in recent days. But for whatever reason, we didn't finish it. I guess there was no time. I don't remember what happened. So today I'm going to summarize what we learned, and we're going to continue. So even though we're not going to begin it, the, the text, we won't begin, but you can go back to class one and have all the text from the beginning. We're going to continue in the middle. I'll tell you from where we're going to continue. If you open your source sheets, you have it on Zoom, you have it on theyeshiva.net. Okay, we're holding 1151, the right column, the last paragraph. Let me give a brief summation so everybody has the full context and then we will move on. 
here's the brief summation. The Gemara in Masechah Shvuas Dafyud Gimel Amad Aleph, Shvuas Tractate Shvuas, page thirteen A, quotes a fascinating argument between Rebbe and the Rabbanon. Rebbe is, of course, Rabbi Yehud HaNasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, the editor of the Mishnah, who lived in the second and third century after the Common Era, and the majority of the sages who disagreed with him. Rebbe says that Yom Kippur achieves atonement whether you do tshuva or you don't do tshuva. In other words, the very day of Yom Kippur has the power to achieve atonement, even if the person doesn't repent. That's the view of Rebbe. Fascinating, fascinating view. The rabbis disagree, and they say no. Yom Kippur can cause atonement for those who do tshuva, not for those who don't do tshuva. In other words, I have to do something about it. I can't just say, Yom Kippur came around, I'm forgiven. Rebbe says, yes, you could say that. Yom Kippur comes around, just a day of atonement. The very day achieves atonement. The Rabbanon argue and they say, you need to do tshuva. The halacha, as you know, is like the Rabbanon. That's what the Rambam, the codifier of Jewish law in the laws of tshuva, chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 1, chapter 1, Halacha Gimel says, the halacha is like the Rabbanon. He also says it in Hilchus Gagas, and this is quoted in the Shulchan Aruch Harav, as he says in the footnotes. You can see in the footnotes all the references, all the sources. Now, most people would say, the argument is, Rebbe holds the day itself achieves atonement. And the Chachamim say, no, it's not the day, it's the person's initiative. If the person repents, there is atonement. But that's not the case. Excuse me. That's not the case. Because if you look in the Rambam, you'll see that the Rambam, who maintains the view of the rabbis, not the view of Rebbe, his language is, he says, <laughs> The day Yom Kippur creates the atonement for those who do tshuva. In other words, he also holds on to the view of Rebbe that the day itself creates atonement. The rabbis themselves don't say that if you do tshuva on another day, it's going to achieve the same results. You have to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. In other words, there's something about the day that creates atonement. The machloik is, the argument is, how do you reach the power of the day? How do you access the power of the day? Rebbe says, when the day arrives, even if there's no tshuva, the day itself has the power and the potency to forgive you for all your sins. And the rabbis say, no, in order to access the power, let's call it the nuclear energy of the day, you have to do tshuva. But through your tshuva, you're reaching a deeper atonement than you would have just reached through, through repentance. It's the day that causes the atonement. That's why the Rambam, who, who holds like the Rabbanon, says, It's, the, it's fascinating. He uses the language of Rebbe on the Rabbanon. But he doesn't hold like Rebbe. Because even the Rabbanon agree that it's the day that brings the atonement, but only if you do tshuva. Tshuva allows you to access the day. <coughs> but this is very difficult to understand, the Lubavitcher Rebbe asks. Because what does atonement mean? If atonement would just mean that the king doesn't penalize you, so we have that concept even in monarchies throughout history, you know, the day of clemency. There's a day, the king is in a good mood, he's jolly, he's throwing a party, he wants to celebrate <coughs> a certain victory or a certain source, cause of joy. So he may forgive. He may forgive people who have sinned and let them go. 
But that only means that they're not penalized. There's no punishment. Kapara, atonement, doesn't just mean that you're not getting penalized. It means that there's no sin anymore. A sin creates a stain. It creates something, something toxic, something negative that becomes attached to the person's soul. And through tshuva, I actually remove it. That's why we call tshuva bleaching, cleansing. From red, it's transformed into white. Kapara, actually, Rashi says this, means kinuach. It means wiping up the stain so that there's nothing left of it. To the point that sometimes, the Gemara tells us in Yuma, the tractate of Yom Kippur, that sometimes it's even deeper than that. The sins themselves, not only do they not remain, they're transformed into merits. <coughs> so sometimes Truva just removes the stain, and sometimes it transforms the stain. The very force of negativity and toxicity becomes a force for positivity and productivity and holiness. So now I can understand that when a Jew does Truva, he or she has remorse for the past. The delight, the ecstasy, the geschmack, the joy that I had during the sin is now removed. So I take away the soul of the sin because I have remorse, I feel bad about it. And the Jew confesses. And I have a resolution for the future. So it takes away the negativity. But how can Rebbe say that the day itself atones? What a day comes and just removes stains? How does that work? What's What's the mechanism of it? And even the Rabbanon also say it's the day. They just say that you need tshuva. That was the question. <coughs> to answer this, the Rebbe begins the explanation, and that's where we're going to begin from. The beer in them, the explanation in this is. It's in Yiddish, but I'll, I'll explain. <coughs> now, those of you who followed us last week for the Rosh Hashanah classes, we learned, <coughs> excuse me, this sikh of the Rebbe on Yom Kippur is a continuation of his sikh on Rosh Hashanah, the three dimensions of Shaifer, the three dimensions of Rosh Hashanah. The similar theme is now being continued in Yom Kippur. The beer in them, the explanation. In them, Fabund, and in the relationship between a Jew and Hashem, there are different levels or different layers. Aleph, number one. The first layer of the relationship is there's the connection that a Jew has with Hashem because a Jew observes Hashem's commandments. He carries on himself or herself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. And the person is ready to obey, to do everything that Hashem says. That's a very powerful and potent relationship. It's the relationship that comes through behavior. There's a contract that the Rebbeinu Shalom gives the Jew. And the contract literally has a checklist, 613 boxes. It's called 613 mitzvahs. Before the contract, there's something called Kabbalah al Malchus Shemayim, accepting the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. And when a Jew carries that yoke, he has that commitment. I'm committed to Hashem. He's my boss. He's my king. <clears throat> and a Jew follows Hashem's mitzvahs. And he has that commitment to do what Hashem wants. That's one layer of the connection. <clears throat> but it's not the only layer. Now comes Bez, the second layer. Bez. 
der innewendigste Verbund von jedem mit Neibersten, was ist hecher und tiefer von dem Verbund, durch Kirma, Mitzvah und Kabbalah, Samal, Hoshamai. Und der primäre Verbund drückt sich aus in dem, was euch da, wenn er es übergewöhnt, auf dem Eberstens Zivu und von sich herabgenommen, dem Eberstens Jach, Egbert es ihm. Egbert. Es verdrisst ihm und er tut Schuwe Und mit seinem Tag, was Schuwe kommt von dem Verbund, was ist tiefer benefisch wie die Skarsche durch Kirma Mitzvah, hat Schuwe bekäuert, zu zerbrechen und herabzunehmen. Die begannen mit Nefesh, was haben sich geschaffen durch Averis, weil sie haben abgeschwacht sein goldigen Verbund. Aber von deswegen, <coughs> Layer 2 represents the fact that there is a deeper relation between a Jew and Hashem that's even deeper than the connection that is created only from the fact that the Jew says, I'm going to do what you want and I'm going to do your mitzvahs. It's rather a deeper, more underlying relationship, which is expressed in something else. It's expressed in the fact that even when a Jew removes the yoke of Hashem, and may alienate himself from God's will, and may in fact stop doing the mitzvahs, there is a gaping void in his or her soul. The word he uses in Yiddish is se'egbertim. Egbert means it perturbs him or her. It bothers him. There is something unsettling. There is a sense of discontentment. Many of you know this in your life. But why? If the whole relationship is based on the fact that I work for you, there's a contract, and if I fulfill the contract, we're in a relationship. If I don't fulfill the contract, we're not in a relationship. So I breached the contract, I violated the contract, I left, so it's over. Imagine somebody is hired by an employer to work. And there's a contract, and you have to show up from 9 to 5. You show up from 9 to 5, you accept the terms, you expect, accept the responsibilities, you get your wages, you show up, you get rewarded, and you're part of the company. If you start breaching the contract, you miss one day, you miss another day, you miss another day, you waste your time at the cube, at the desk, you don't do what you have to do. At some point, the relationship is terminated, the contract is not working, and you're out of the company. So it's over. You go find yourself a new job, you go find yourself a new life. One level of Judaism could be compared to that first level. It's like a contract. It's no small thing. A Jew tells Hashem, I'm part of your company. I'm part of your monarchy. I'm part of your kingdom. I am yours. I belong to you. Kabbalah I'm going to do everything you want me to do. And I'm not going to do what you don't want me to do. <laughs> That's a connection. That's a very deep relationship. Both ways. I work for you and you reward me. I'm your employee. I'm part of the contract. And you have duties to me, I have duties to you. Like the Apostolic says, You do my mitzvahs, I reward you. But the Rebbe says then, if the relationship is terminated, it should be terminated. We see that the relationship is not terminated even when it's terminated. There's a discontentment. There's a void. There's something that's bothering the Jew. He or she is feeling unfulfilled. There's an existential angst. There's a void. There's a search. There's a yearning. I may repress it, I may ignore it, it may be more conscious, it may be less conscious, I may not know what it is. <laughs> we often talk about addiction, that it's essentially a search for spirituality. It's essentially a search for wholeness. It's essentially a search for God. It's a search for meaning. But I don't know how to translate it. I don't know how to identify that inside of me. So how do I express it? How do I harness it? I channel it through cravings, whether it's to one type of substance or other type of substance. 
whether it's to alcohol or it's binging or another substance. But what is the real point? The real point is there's a spiritual search here that I'm looking to satisfy, that I need to, I need to quench my thirst. It's a spiritual, spiritual thirst, and that's not going to go away. The question is, will it be channeled through addiction or will it be channeled through your higher, to your higher, towards your higher power, towards God? Where does that come from? I left the world of mitzvahs. That's what tshuva represents. Tshuva represents that even when you're alienated, you're not really alienated. Even when you're alienated, there is pain. Why is there pain? Because I'm not a stranger who joined your company and then I left your company and I move on. It's like two best friends. I may join your company and I may not fulfill the contract <laughs> and I'm out of the company but, and we become alienated. We have a disagreement. We have a fight. But I go home and I'm crying. There's something bothering me. That's what tshuva represents. It's like a couple has a relationship. You don't say the definition of the relationship is the ksuva. What makes a couple married? <laughs> what makes a couple married is that he takes out the garbage, that he pays for the medical bills, that he does everything in the ksuva. That's the expression of marriage. The ksuva is the legal formula that gives expression to a deeper relationship. The relationship is not because I do what the ksuva says. That's not the relationship. The relationship is an essential relationship. We become married. We're husband and wife. We're connected. Therefore, I do the mitzvahs. Therefore, I do the ksuva. And therefore, if I don't do it, if we become alienated, if there's a misunderstanding, the couple is discontent because there's still a connection. And we don't want to be separated. It doesn't feel good. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And this is what repair means. This is what tshuva means. And that's the power of tshuva, that even when I'm alienated, (coughs) and even when there are stains in my soul that happen through the sins, those sins weakened the relationship that came from fulfilling the contract. That's not there anymore. But the inner connection that caused me to want to do tshuva, to come back, that remains. And that's what tshuva captures, tshuva represents. So tshuva represents a deeper relationship that's even deeper than mitzvahs, because even the Jew who threw away mitzvahs can still do tshuva, and that ultimately will do tshuva. Very gishmak. This is the second layer of the relationship. Now I should just say, hopefully with an employer and employee, you have also a little bit of the second level, because it's not like we remain strangers forever. You know, if I'm working with you for 20 years, hopefully it develops into some type of friendship. And even if there's a misunderstanding, we don't just go separate ways and never talk to each other. But you get my point. That's why I'm giving these two examples. Now the Rebbe continues a third level, to a third level. Aber von Deswegen, still, von Deswegen means nonetheless. Aber von Deswegen is euch der Primisdiker verbund, aber grenitzter. Was kann sich ausmessen in der Tnur von Tshuva? Even this inner connection is still defined, it's limited. And that's why it's expressed through a certain movement, through a certain act called shuva. But there is a third level, gimel. The shuva. The third layer of the relationship is the most essential 
oneness of the core of the soul with Hashem's essence. This relationship has no measurements, no way of defining it or describing it, and has no limitations, and it can't even express itself in every in any form of behavior or movement, not even in the avoid of tshuva. Tshuva represents that there's a connection <coughs> that's there even deeper than the mitzvahs. And therefore, there's a loyalty. And because of that, when I do sin, I want to come back because something inside of me is not complete, is broken. So how do I come back? I do tshuva. I repent for my sins. I have remorse for the past. I confess and I take on a resolution for the future. But the Lubavitcher Rebbe says there's a third layer of the relationship which touches God in his own essence, which is completely undefined. It's absolute infinity. We have no way of describing it. And it touches the Jew in his or her essence, which is also beyond definition and description. This relationship can't be created through any act or through any work, because anything I do, as great and lofty as it is, is defined and measured by my interpretation of my identity and by my actions. This is not a relationship that I can create. This is a relationship that is there innately, intrinsically, because this is the core of your soul. Your soul is a chelik mamash. It's a piece of Hashem, so to speak. It's a derivative of divine infinity. Its consciousness is a derivative of Hashem's oneness. It's a manifestation of Hashem. It's a piece of Hashem, so to speak. A fragment of infinity, which means it's infinite. And even when it comes into the body, as we say in the Hashanahs of Sukkot, Chavuka Udvukabach, it's embracing you, and it's always connected to you. It's called Yechida Liyachtach. It's completely one and unified with you. That is what it is. It's completely one. How do you define Hashem? Could you define Hashem? You can't define Hashem, right? You can't define that either. You can't define this relationship. And this relationship is not going to be expressed in any particular action that captures it. I mean, it could be expressed in many ways, but the point is no particular action could capture it or create it because it's deeper than anything the human being can understand or wrap his brain or hands around. Because this relationship is beyond all measurements, all limitations, and any descriptions or definitions, is I'll explain in a moment. The plukta for Rebbe Verabonin is not, see as father to Chuva Bredez on the Zgalavan and the Madreg. Allah's and Nobber Maida as the Kapara for Yem Kipper, Vetnit of Gitondor Chuva, nor it summishal Yem as Machape for Zichalain. In Yen the Madregas for the Chatoim, whom they liked and Pagan given, Dar Dafman Uftan a Kapara, and thus come to Chuva. Was shaft by the mention, and durch dem Eichlameila, a tiefer in Verbund zwischen Mitneibusten, was zerbrecht und nimmt herab, als was stärzt der Diskussion. Aber die Kapare von ihm Kipper, 
verderichdem, was es is meir azad darge, was es melechat chile netakim gam, commission is boyer le. Let me explain. <coughs> this relationship cannot be created through my work, but it also can't be obliterated through my work. There's nothing I can do or not do to obliterate this relationship. I can't even make it weaker. <coughs> this is so real. This is so authentic. This is so raw and so pure. It touches a place that's beyond my consciousness. It touches a place beyond anything I can formulate with my brain in describing who I am. This is the I that transcends the verbal I. This is the I that transcends the I that could be manifested and expressed through words. This is the I that is at the core of the core of the soul, which is one, completely one with Hashem's I. Nothing I do or will don't do can obliterate this part of me, can even weaken it. In this level of the relationship, in this layer of the relationship, there's no blemish, there's no sin. You are always one. There are levels in the relationship with Hashem that can be challenged, that can be weakened, that can be destroyed, that can be terminated. Over there, there's tshuva. You have to do tshuva. But on this level, there can't be a separation. You cannot be not you. You say, yeah, but I sinned, and my whole life I sinned, and I made many mistakes. The I that was involved in sin and mistakes is not that I that is at the core of your essence, which is completely one with Hashem. That I remains absolutely connected. There's nothing that takes it away from its connection. Nothing. You say, so aren't we disconnected? Sometimes it says the soul is cut off. As the Balatanya says in the Kutatayra, in the Maimah Shir Hamalos Mimamakim on Rosh Hashanah, that whenever we speak about Karis, we're only speaking about a lower level of the soul that can get cut off. On a level where the relationship is based on consciousness, on perception, I can get cut off. But that relationship that is super conscious and is completely above any interpretation, any definition, my actions don't create it, and my inactions can't destroy it. There's nothing I can do to obliterate or even weaken this relationship. Why? Because this relationship is not based on my actions. It's not even based on my choices. <coughs> it's based on my very essence. This is your essence. You are a chelik elikavam. You are divine. Just like God can't, God is God and God is not not God, you're also not not divine. Like the Alter Rebbe once said, Ayid, nishta vil, nishta ken zayin, abkishet fanalikos, a Jew. He or she doesn't want and can't become separated from godliness. Because if this is who I am in my deepest essence, <coughs> I'm sorry I told you, it's not going to be so comfortable. I apologize for all these <coughs> coughs. <coughs> I know it's maybe annoying to listen to. <sighs> Here, the relationship was never challenged. So, th- so let's understand. There's three layers in the relationship. Layer one in the relationship is 
God gives me a contract. God says, I'm your king. You're my subject. You got to accept the yoke. I accept the yoke. I show up for work every day, 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, whatever that checklist is, Torah, mitzvahs, I'm committed. I do the job and I get what I get in this world and the next world. It's one level. What happens if I terminate it? What happens if I don't show up? What happens if I throw off the yoke? This is called Avera. Is it over? God says, okay, fine. I got a new employee. We say, no, no, no. There is a deeper relationship. Relationship wasn't just created through the contract. There's a connection. We're family. We're friends. We're brothers. You're my brothers. You're my friends. And you're my children. Your child, you hire your child, and you hire a stranger in the company. He doesn't show up for six months. <laughs> you say you don't have to come back. Your child doesn't show up for six months, and after six months, say, please come back. Well, throw him out. He's my child. He's my child. The relationship doesn't begin because he's in the company. It's not a connection between a parent and a child, or two friends, or a husband and a wife. That's what Shuvah represents. It brings out that we're connected on a deeper level. And Tshuva brings out that we're discontent without each other. And therefore, when we come back, we come back even stronger. Like we say, the Baal Tshuva could be greater than the Tzaddik. Because it reveals a deeper connection. And that breaks, it takes away all the sins that have obliterated the relationship. It's like two people who really love each other, but they had a misunderstanding, they were alienated, but then they meet each other. And they give that hug. And that hug represents that there's something that the misunderstandings and the inappropriate behavior cannot break. And that's the power of tshuva. But even tshuva is repairing a broken relationship through going into a deeper place where even after the brokenness, we're not completely detached. We miss each other. We crave each other. We still yearn for each other. But we still yearn for each other because we're separate. But we're separate in a way that we're not completely separate. And that's why I can do tshuva. And that's why I want to do tshuva. But the Rebbe says there's a third level where you were never separate. You were never alienated. The Hevra Taifa is the third. Very different. There's one, two, three. You get it? One is contract level. You belong to me. You show up for work. You, you took the yoke. You're under the yoke. You're part of my clan. You're part of my entourage. Once you leave, you leave. So tshuva says, no, you don't really leave. We miss each other. We yearn for each other. We're separate, but even when we're separate, we don't like the separateness. So what do we do? We can always repair it. We can always come back. Because that's a deeper connection. And because of that deeper connection, our alienation kills us. It kills us. That's what Shuvah represents. Shuvah represents the yearning of a soul. You know the Madrash in Kahelis? It's a beautiful Madrash, Rabbi. Ah, Kishmaka Madrash. You know the story about it, you know the Medrash. Givaldic. There was a princess, <laughs> daughter of a king, and she fell in love <coughs> with a farmer. A nice guy, but a peasant. And they get married, and he brings her to the farm. And he takes care of her, and he nurtures her, and he feeds her. But she's so despondent, she's so depressed. And he tries more things and he lets her ride the horses and he lets her milk the cows and pick the cotton and deal with the potatoes and the tomatoes and the sprouts, of course. 
and she's just, she's just discontent. So he comes to the father, her father, and he says, what am I doing wrong? And the father says, don't you understand? <laughs> she's a princess. <laughs> it's not what you're doing wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. But everything you're giving her doesn't speak to her. She needs those things that she's accustomed to in the palace, whether it's art or music or wisdom or royalty or royal foods. So the matter says, the soul comes into the body and the body is a nice guy. So the body says, come, let me give you a little pizza. Let me give you a little cheesecake. Let me give you a little ice cream. I'll give you health food. We'll do, it's all good. But the soul is royalty. So because the soul is royalty, I need to be connected. That's what Shuvah is. So it's an amazing idea. But the Rebbe says over here, there could still be brokenness, and therefore I yearn for you. There's a third level where we never left. There's a third level that there was never a separation that we should yearn for each other and feel that we're discontent. On that third level, we were always, always one, and no sin and no mistake destroys it, obliterates it, tarnishes it, makes it filthy, even weakens it. It's who you are in your essence, you are infinity itself. You are part of Hashem. This is the idea of Yom Kippur, that the day itself atones. How can the day atone, we asked? How can a day come and remove remove the sin without shuva? How can Rabbi say that? Rabbi says, because Yom Kippur, Hashem reveals, He removes the blockages that eclipse the third level of the relationship. And when that level of the relationship comes out, when it emerges to the fore of consciousness, all the blemishes fall away automatically because in that space, there was no blemish. There was no disconnection. There was no alienation. Rebbe says you don't even have to do tshuva. You're always in a state of oneness. You just don't have access usually to that dimension of self. Yom Kippur, we have access to that dimension. You're good. Because on that, that space, you never sin. Reb Tzaddik says, the Gemara says in Gitten, Kedushin Daftas, how do you learn out? How do you Makadosh and Isha Bishtar? It says, The Torah juxtaposes and compares the halachas of marriage, the halachas of divorce. Sir Tzaddik says, because spiritually, even a Jew who's v'yotza still v'hoisa, makish avili, yitzia, you're always one. Even when you say, I'm not, and I'm disconnected, and I'm angry at you, and I'm frustrated at you, and I'm alienated, there is a level of alienation that needs to be healed through tshuva. There's a level of alienation, there's a level of self that can't be alienated. When that comes out, Rabbi says, you don't even need tshuva. That's him, Kippur. The argument of the Rabbanan is, that you need tshuva in order to be able to access this level. But it's not the tshuva that does it. It's Itzumay Shalyoim that does it. It's the Yom Kippur that does it. It's the Heftzah of Yom Kippur. Because it's a day when this state of reality, of oneness, comes to the fore. Now, this explains something very interesting. The Gemara says, in Masech Rosh Hashanah, it says, Dirshu Hashem karev. Look for Hashem when He's present. Call out to Him when He's close. So the Gemara says, these are the ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. 
Hashem is uniquely present and close. And the question is, it's not 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's 7 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's 10 days from Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur. But now we'll understand it. <coughs> Yom Kippur has two components to it. There's the element of Yom Kippur, that it's a day of tshuva, it's one of the 10 days of tshuva. But there's also an element of Yom Kippur that's deeper than tshuva. The relationship of yechida liyachtach that's even deeper than being expressed through tshuva. So that's what the Gemara means. These are the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur itself has something that transcends the fact that it's one of the 10 days of tshuva. There's the element of Yom Kippur that it's a day of tshuva. But there's an element of Yom Kippur that transcends even the experience of tshuva. Ah, even according to the Rabbanon. That's what the Gemara means. These are the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because the Yom Kippur aspect of tshuva is lower than the Yom Kippur, the essential theme of Yom Kippur. So we call it between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, even though Yom Kippur is one of those days. To demonstrate the fact that there's something in Yom Kippur that transcends even the concept of tshuva, similar to what we spoke about Rosh Hashanah. We spoke about Rosh Hashanah in the previous year, before Rosh Hashanah. Also in the same volume for the same year, Tishrei, Tavshin Chav Gimel, 1962, in Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, <coughs> before Yom Kippur, Sukkot, the Rebbe explained these three levels in Rosh Hashanah, in Yom Kippur, and in Sukkot. So we learned it last week in Rosh Hashanah, now we're learning it in Yom Kippur. <coughs> so just like by Rosh Hashanah, we spoke about three levels. There's the mitzvahs of Rosh Hashanah. There's the tshuva of Rosh Hashanah. And there's the tamlichuni aleichem. That the Jew chooses Hashem as his king. <coughs> you have also these three things in Yom Kippur. You have itzuma yishal yoyimachaper, which is the essence of Yom Kippur, the core of Hashem's, or the core of Hashem, which is one with the Jewish soul. You have the tshuva of Yom Kippur, which makes Yom Kippur one of the aserisim, tshuva. We do tshuva to fix all of our sins. And then you have the mitzvahs of Yom Kippur, like the mitzvah of fasting, and also the mitzvah aspect of tshuva, and the mitzvah of confession, the mitzvah aspect of it. So you have three things in Rosh Hashanah, three things in Yom Kippur. You have the mitzvah, you have the tshuva, and you have the essence of the relationship that's even beyond tshuva. Okay. Because I want to finish, so I want to get to the point. <coughs> so we're going to skip... A few of the paragraphs here. Please go to Seif Hey on page 1153. Just skipping a few paragraphs because I want to get to the key point. This concept we see in what happened on Yom Kippur with the high priest. The Kohen Gadol used to go in Yom Kippur to the Holy of Holies. 
It says in the Pasuk in Achare Mois, we read it on Yom Kippur, no person should be in the oil Mois, in the sanctuary, when the Kohen Gadol goes in on Yom Kippur. So the Yerushalmi says, Talmud Yerushalmi says, <coughs> that includes even angels, because the angels are called Pnei Adam, the face of a person. Even the angels were not there. And we're talking about the highest levels of angels, known as Chayas HaKadosh. Even they were not present. What does this mean? They weren't present. This means that Yom Kippur captures and represents the oneness between the Jew and Hashem that is completely one and beyond any definition of spirituality. The Kohen Gadol was the shliach of the Jewish people. He was there alone. Even the angels were not there. In other words, this is touching a level that's even beyond angels. Angels represent spiritual energies. They are descriptions of spiritual emotions, of transcendental, (coughs) powerful, divine manifestations. But Yom Kippur touched something even deeper than that. Say the Malachim are not there. It's a space where even the angels are not there. It's Yisrael, Amalkabel, Chaydoi, the Jew and Hashem, completely alone. It's so it's that space in me that goes even deeper than my spiritual angels. And it's a space in Hashem that goes deeper than his spiritual angels. Nachmer, furthermore, that I rang him from Kohen Gadol and Kedosh HaKadosh, was the given in Bayashen Yech, was done in Shen the Oren Dort Nitgeve. Ich <laughs> What is more, the Kohen Gadol went into the Holy of Holies even in the second base of Mikdash and there was no Aaron anymore. The ark wasn't there. The ark was hidden at the end of Bayis Rishon. The ark is the place where the Luchais were, where Torah was. The Luchais are the Ten Commandments that include the whole Torah. And there was a Sefer Torah there. But in the second base Hamikdash, that was all gone or was all absent. This represents the fact that even in the second base Hamikdash, there was no Torah there. There was no Aaron there. Still the Kohen Gadol went into the Holy of Holies. And there was that full revelation of the divine energy to the point that if somebody was incapable of receiving it, they wouldn't be able to survive physically. Because it represents that you're going into a place that's even deeper than Torah. Even the highest level of Torah, the way Torah is engraved in the Luchas. There's the concept of tshuva through Torah and tshuva that's beyond Torah. Tshuva through Torah is the tshuva that is defined by a revealed act of doing tshuva. Tshuva can fix all the sins. It can even fix the sin of not learning Torah. In other words, tshuva is higher. But tshuva fixes and repairs a broken relationship. The tshuva of Yom Kippur and Kaddish HaKadoshim represents something that when that comes out, you don't need tshuva because you're completely one. It's the relationship of the essence that's beyond revelation. So you'll think that was only in the time of the Beis HaMikdash when he went into the Holy of Holies. That's Kaddish HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies of a Jew. The Rebbe says it's still today the same way. Because today our davening is in lieu of our karbonus. We daven instead of the avoid in the Beis HaMikdash. Yom Kippur is that ain't sikir tag. Funyarim is mechoy of daven and chamesh tfilas. The fin of tefillah, zayin and keneged the fin of madreges for neshama, nefesh roch neshama chayi yichida. 
The fifth tefillah, was when his mispalal noriyem kippur, the tefillahs ne'illah, vertinir nizgala b'chines ha'yechidosh ha'beneshama. Vizi is vereinsik mit den eberstern, was dorten haben it kein art. Oisek, was dorten haben it kein art, kein zach, oisek der eberstern mit iden. Und das ist der Teich von ne'illah, men verschließt alle teuren, und men lost dahin keinem nit herein, dort gefinden sich bloß iden mit hatzmusse yisbarach. Yom Kippur is the only day when we daven five prayers. Why five? Because there's five dimensions of the soul. The Medrash says the soul has five names. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Cha'eichid. So Shachris, Mincha, Maidev represent the first three levels of the soul. Musaf, which we do Shabbos, Rishchidosh, Yom Tev, is the fourth level of the soul. Yom Kippur, we add a fifth prayer, which is called Ne'ilah. The five levels of the soul represent nefesh is the biological currents, the biological electricity of the soul. Ruach are its emotive abilities. Neshama, its cognitive abilities. The scientist, the curious intellectual person. <coughs> the human being is inquisitive. We want to know truth. We wonder where we came from. Chaya is the spiritual aspirations of the soul. Yechida is the essence, the core, the undefined core that is divine. It's one with the divine. Yom Kippur. This fifth level emerges in full splendor and full glory, so we add the fifth prayer, which is the level of Yechidah. What's Yechidah? Yechidah means oneness. When Yechidah comes out, it becomes clear that you are completely one, and there's nothing in your life outside of this relationship with Hashem. You are completely divine, infinite. You are infinity. You and Hashem are completely one. There's no room for anything outside of it. Anything outside of it is just the distraction of the truth of reality, which is the ultimate oneness of infinity that comes out in Yechid. And that's why this prayer is called Ne'ilah. And maybe in some ways these three lines of this last paragraph have in them an incredible power. Maybe the key lines here. What does Ne'ilah mean? Ne'ilah, you remember what Ne'ilah means? Ne'ilah means closing. So what do we always, how do we always explain it? It's explained in many books, holy books. Because Ne'ilah is right before sunset. And soon the gates of heaven are about to close. Shari Hashamaya. The gates of heaven are about to close. That's what Ne'ilah means. They're going to be closed and locked. So therefore we say, Chaparain, seize the moment before sunset, before Ne'ilah is over, to ask forgiveness, to do tshuva, to confess, to ask for everything you need, to connect. Chaparain, this, this is it, this is it, you know. It's, 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 it's ninth inning. Lahavdu. That's true, but the Rebbe says something deeper. Ne'ilah means that at that time, the gates are closed, but they're not closed in front of you. They're closed behind you. The gates of heaven are closed, but you're inside. That's Ne'ilah. That's Ne'ilah. He says, Mefashlist By Ne'ilah, they close all the doors and nobody's allowed. It's just the Jew and Atzmos, the Jew and Hashem's essence. It's like the Yichud room, you know, at the end of the chuppah, right? You have the Kabbalah upon the reception, a lot of people are there, and then you have the chuppah, and everybody's there, the rabbi and the witnesses, and the photographer, of course, and the musician, and the mechotanim, and the friends. And then you have the Yichud room, at the end of the chuppah, the chassan and kal, everybody got to go out, even the mother-in-law, even the rabbi, even the caterer, even the photographer, yeah, everybody got to go out. They closed the door. Now it's the chasen and kala alone. Nobody else. 
Yom Kippur is like the day of our wedding, because it says the second Matan Torah was on Yom Kippur. Hashem, Yom Chasunos is a Matan Torah. Hashem gave us the second Luchas. So the whole Yom Kippur is like a Chuppah. That's why we wear white and we fast, just like a groom and a bride. But at the end of Yom Kippur is the Cheder Yichud. It's Ne'ila, you go into the exclusive room. He says, the doors are closed, nobody else is allowed in. What does this mean on a spiritual level? By Ne'ila, there's nothing else in my life that comes in. Nothing can interfere. Other people coming in is just a metaphor for interruptions, for interferences. But when that level of the relationship comes out, nothing can interfere. No traumas, no sins, no wounds, no insecurities, no fears. Because in that place, there's no fear. There's no insecurity. In that place, there's no brokenness. In that place, there's no trauma. In that place, (coughs) excuse me, there's no jealousy. There's no hatred. There's no politics. There's no corruption. There's no selfishness. There's no ego, because there's no fear. There's no addiction. In that place, you're infinite. So the Rebbe says we have to open ourselves up to this consciousness, to this truth. So the gates are closed. Nobody is allowed in. What does it mean nobody is allowed? We don't have to throw them out. They just don't even go in. The gates of heaven are closed. They have no access there. In that place, the only reality is Hashem Echad Echad Ein Oid Malvadoi, and you are that. You are part of that. So where's the room for anything else in Einaid Movada? Toxicity doesn't exist there. Toxicity can exist on lower levels where there's more concealment and therefore there's more blockages. That's what comes out on the Ila. The gates of heaven are closed and you're inside. And nothing else is inside. Because when that relationship comes out, there is nothing else besides that relationship. It's everything. <coughs> and he finishes... True, primarily this is revealed by Ne'ila. Chazal call Yom Kippur a day in which we're obliged to have to daven five prayers. So this means that even though this five, fifth dimension is primarily revealed on the Ila, but essentially it's present all day of Yom Kippur. That's why they say it's a day that's characterized by five tefillahs. True, every season, every part of the day has its tefillah. By night is Mayriv and the morning is Shachris and Musaf and Mincha. But nonetheless, the whole day is a day that's captured, that embodies the dimension of five, the fifth level, which is Yechidah, that comes out on Yom Kippur. And this explains why Yitzumar Shalyoy Mechaper, how the very day itself, according to Rebbe, without Tshuva, and even according to the Rabbanan, through Tshuva you access the day itself, brings atonement, because this day brings out that space of oneness that was never, ever tarnished. So I want to share a story about the person I dedicated today's class to, Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald. It really captures so much of what we learned now in a very practical way. In a painful way, but in a practical way. Shortly after the founding of the famous Jewish Heritage Center of Queens and Long Island, this was an organization that was founded by Rabbi Moshe Turk and Rabbi Naftali Portnoy. 
it was an organization <coughs> known as the Jewish Heritage Center, and they were looking for a venue to do a Shavuos retreat in their work of Kiruv, to bring Jews closer to Judaism. They were scrapped for cash. Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald had a camp that he founded and he ran. It was called Camp Sternberg. So they asked him if they can use Camp Sternberg in the Catskills. They had a campus before they'll be able to upgrade themselves to be able to afford a hotel, and that's what they used. One summer was in the early 2000s. The Jewish Heritage Center invited the Mazamrim Choir, headed by my friend, Reb Chili Posen, to entertain at an alumni dinner. Chili Posen, who grew up in Satma, is a, a fine and proud Satma Chosid, and wonderful human being, and Vada Meyit, he tells the organizers, he says, you know, it's so nice that you're doing so many things to bring Jews, secular Jews, from Queens and Long Island closer to Judaism. But what about all of the Hasidic kinderlach? What about all of the boys and girls who grew up in the Hasidic communities and yet, for whatever reason, felt alienated and left? Why don't you do anything for them? Rabbi Portno was taken aback. He says, how am I supposed to find them? How am I supposed to have access to them? What am I supposed to go into the big yeshivas and bate medrash of the Hasidic community and say, hey, whoever is not interested, come to my program? The question remained unanswered. The challenge was hanging in the ear. Anyway, that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Jewish Heritage Center, made a retreat for secular Jews who wanted to have a warm and inspiring Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald and his wife joined the services. As the sky darkens, the sun is about to set over the horizon of the day before Yom Kippur. The shul is filled with men and women who came especially to observe Yom Kippur, to celebrate Yom Kippur, many of them wearing the white kittel, as the holiest day of the year is about to begin. Around five minutes before sunset, before the beginning of Yom Kippur, a van pulls up to the hotel where the Jewish Heritage Center is running its program. And I kid you not, outcome of the van, seven boys and three girls, they're all wearing beachwear and flip-flops. You look at them and you know right away that they grew up in Orthodox homes, not just in Orthodox homes, in Hasidic homes, in Hasidic communities. They all went to yeshiva, they all went to girls' schools, Hasidic girls' schools, <coughs> and basically they were trying to escape for Yom Kippur. Where's the best way to escape? You find a hotel and you chill out. Oy, 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 the nightmare begins. They walk into the lobby and suddenly they see a bunch of Jews who are praying and many religious Jews who are there. So they go to the clerk and they say, we want back our deposit. This was a mistake. We need to go somewhere else. This is not a place for us. He refuses. He doesn't want to refund their reservations. And he refuses their request. They didn't have a lot of money. So <coughs> they were standing there confused. They didn't know what they should do, what should be their next step. They really didn't want to stay among all these people. They were trying to escape these people. And now they ended up in the lion's den. Rabbi Portnoff, Rabbi Portnoff from the Jewish Heritage Center, <coughs> excuse me, from the Jewish Heritage Center comes over to them and he says, guys, I know you're not comfortable. I see you guys are perturbed, but I just want to tell you, we don't bite, we're not going to bother you, don't worry, we're not trying to threaten you, we just came here for our program, do what you want, I just want you to know that the shul is always open, and you're welcome to join us whenever you want, 
You're also welcome to ignore us if you want. Don't worry. He was trying to be very friendly and polite, make them feel comfortable. And <coughs> they took their rooms and they went to their rooms and the rest of the crowd went into Davin Kol Nidre. Rabbi Portno said, I was happy that the teen stayed and I remembered when Chili Posen from the Mazamrim said, God wants you to deal with the Hasidish kids too. So we didn't know what to do, so he brought them to us. And I thought, you know, maybe after Yom Kippur, I'll have a chance to have a shmuz with them. And I went to Davin Kol Nidre, and after Yom Kippur, hopefully we'll connect, maybe they'll come to the meal, and we'll be able to strike up a more warm and friendly conversation. But Ronnie Greenwald had a very different reaction. At night, they went to their rooms. But shortly after coming down to Davin in the morning... He sat out in the lobby, waiting for them to come down. And as they came down, he began talking to them, first one-on-one, and then as a group. He listened to them, he validated them, he validated their emotions, he encouraged them. He made them feel they were not outcasts, but welcome members of the family. <coughs> in fact, he did not daven in Shul that Yom Kippur. He davened his tefillahs privately whenever he fit them in. But most of the day he spent hanging out with these kids. Now you have to understand, these kids went swimming, they were drinking beer, but whenever they showed up in the lobby, he was waiting. He was out there, smiling, welcoming them, no tension, no criticism, no flinching, no awkward faces, (coughs) no anger. Just pure love and acceptance all day. He spent seven hours of the day with them. Again, they went to do their own thing and they wanted to get rid of him at some points of the day, but then they came back to the lobby. He just schmoozed, fabrained, listened, laughed, joked, listened to their stories individually and in group settings. As Rami said, these were broken vessels. Shivrei Kalim. This was the first time they felt accepted within a religious Jewish environment. The hours crept on. And as the sun was about to set and everybody went into shul for Ne'ilah, Rabbi Portner says, we turned around and we see that two of the boys came into shul for Ne'ilah. He says, we invited them back for Sukkot, for Simchas Beis HaSheva, and they and 25 of their friends showed up. We kept up a connection, and a hundred of them attended the Jewish Heritage Center for the Hanukkah party. He said we had to create a special division for Hasidic young men and women because of that connection that Rabbi Rani created on Yom Kippur. Rabbi Portner was in Israel when the news arrived a few years ago that Rabbi Rani Greenwald passed away. <coughs> he passed away suddenly in Florida. Rabbi Portner attended the funeral. As he left the room where the funeral was taking place, he was approached by a young woman. He did not recognize her. She was dressed very in a very refined and modest way. She introduces herself and she says, you don't remember me, but I was one of the three girls who came to the hotel a few minutes before Yom Kippur. I struggled terribly in high school. I wasn't sure which way to go in life. I just joined this group of outcasts. And Yom Kippur, we did not want to have part of. Too much anxiety, too much religion. 
I spent most of the Yom Kippur drinking beer and hanging out in the pool. But that day, Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald touched my life in such a profound way that I changed my direction completely. I went to a regular Beis Yaakov seminary in Israel, and nobody even imagined the upheavals I went through before that. I'm now in Israel, and when I heard that he passed away, I had to come to the funeral just to say thank you. Rabbi Portno said that that entire group of kids who came to Yom Kippur today have all built beautiful Jewish homes based on Torah and Mitzvahs. He says they were so alienated. They were so cynical. They felt that even intermarriage is fine for them. Hasidic kids. Some of them even despised the idea of having a bris, a circumcision, which secular Jews do. That's how far they were. But when Ronnie Greenwald gave them his Yom Kippur, they saw what Judaism really is, and they saw who they really are. Now, (coughs) this, in my mind, is a real embodiment of what we learned. Because somebody who eats on Yom Kippur (laughs) is very far, obviously. There's Jews who are secular, but they fast on Yom Kippur. They went swimming, they were eating, they were extremely far and alienate. And you know what? Even Rebbe, who says that Yom Kippur atones, even without Shuva, says that for the sins that we do on Yom Kippur, of things that we're not supposed to do on Yom Kippur, even Yom Kippur doesn't have the power to atone. As the Sikh explains, we didn't get into that. But Ronnie Greenwald understood, we have an option, we have two choices. I could look at these kids and say, they're just horrible kids, they're bums, they're outcasts, they don't care, they're indifferent, they're brats, they're narcissistic, Nobody disciplined them. <coughs> and why should I waste my Yom Kippur and squander my relationship just because of these kids? That doesn't make sense. I want to do tshuva. I want to have Yom Kippur. Every Jew is in Shul Yom Kippur. But as the Rebbe taught us what a Jew is, there's a level of oneness that could never, ever be broken, even when the person is so broken. Can you see that? And can you love the person? And can you believe in the person? And can you be proud of that person? And could you see the struggle of the Echidosh of trying to come out? Can I look beyond the pain and beyond, beyond the disappointments and beyond the sins that are really hurtful? It's hurtful when we see Jewish kids like this. It's not, Ronnie Greenwald wasn't, didn't make peace with the fact that they were eating on Yom Kippur, but that ability to be able to look beyond that and just connect to them. Realize that they're on a journey and they have been through some difficult experiences without judgment. Allow them to be able to go back into themselves and find their deepest spark and their deepest Yiddishkeit. What would have happened if they would have felt alienated once again? They would have continued to wallow in that brokenness and never had that ability to be able to regain their relationship but by embracing them unconditionally, by loving them unconditionally, he began the journey of helping them heal, of helping them see their own beauty. There was something that was broken there, and of course they blamed it all on Judaism. This was their Jewish experience. This was a trauma, a lot of it based on Judaism, whether it was their education or basically learning disabilities or, or abuse or molestation or dysfunction in the family or neglect or ab- whatever it is you know, highly sensitive souls, whatever it was. But somehow their experience of Yiddishkeit was one that was breaking them. And just to tell them, you're broken people, and I don't want to talk to you, will just reinforce it and alienate them. 
but by being there with them and for them, listening to them and validating them, they could find their wholeness. And they can even find that Yiddishkeit is not there to break them, but to heal them. And that Yom Kippur was the beginning of their journey back to who they always were, because they were never, ever separate. I'm going to take a few questions. <coughs> Question number one. It may sound bad, but I don't remember anything I should do tshuva for. For my own sanity, can I ask forgiveness on Yom Kippur for sins I don't know that I committed? Okay, wow. <laughs> You're at tzaddik. I mean, there's probably something, but yeah, you can ask that. Is the part of oneself that is one with Hashem, one with Hashem, or Hashem Himself? Well, of course, when you're completely one with Hashem, that is Hashem Himself, because there's no separation by Hashem. Thank you for a powerful class and a great example of a special individual. Some pe- some, so many people felt whole after meeting Him, and after such an encounter, you can understand why. Indeed. Wishing you all a wonderful year. A good Gebench Diar. Thank you very much. Sending you my love and blessings. And may this Yom Kippur be one that opens all the gates and then closes all the gates with us inside. And the oneness is revealed in our lives and in the whole world. A year of Geula, individual and collective redemption. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.